All right, Jay is going to be our speaker today. Jay, you are on for 15 to 20 minutes. Go ahead. Woke up this morning, grateful I'm here and grateful that God, who's my chosen higher power, hi Linda, has chosen to keep me alive long enough to start getting some of the benefits and miracles of recovery in this wonderful program. Um, couple of things, uh, well, maybe more than a couple of things that I'm going to say. <laughs> a couple of things to start off. One is that um, I said this to Chris in the chat, but if there's any other newcomers or fairly new or fairly new to a, I just want to thank it takes a it takes a tremendous amount of courage to come to away at first and especially the first meeting. So I just wanted to acknowledge that for anybody that's new or fairly new to the program. The other thing is, is that I really feel like crap today. However, one of the graces of my recovery is that if I'm going to feel lousy, I'd rather feel lousy with all of you than anywhere else I can think of. So thanks for accepting me while I feel lousy. <laughs> I'm talking about physically, emotionally, I'm fine. Spiritually, I think I'm fine. Mentally, well, that's up for debate for some people, but I am here. Um, in AA, when somebody tells their story, they like to say to avoid drunk logs. You know, like, oh, I was so drunk that I ended up in the gutter and people were stepping on, on my head and the, I'm not going there, okay? I'm going to start out with just some highlights or lowlights in my life, depending on your point of view, of my addiction. Uh, first, I'm going to tell you that, that I'm going to um, tell you uh, what I've gotten from the program, what I continue to get from the program. So my first the first thing I do with sponsees is I have them write their autobiography as it relates to food. As chronologically as possible, they don't have to be maniacal about it because um, I'll be maniacal about anything. Uh, but just, you know, step by step as much as possible, what they remember about food in their life and how they related to it and what their experience was. And so my first experience of compulsive eating, it's funny, I'm 72 years old now. This happened when I was about four years old and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in my kitchen. Now this was probably about 9, 9.30 at night. So I'm four years old. So 9, 9.30 at night, little Jay's supposed to be asleep, right? Nah, not this addict. I wanted Ovaltine. Anybody remember Ovaltine? By the way, um, I may mention specific foods once or twice more. So if that's a problem for anybody, I suggest that you mute yourselves. And then when I'm done, I'm sorry, what, when I'm about to mention a specific food, I'll go like this, you know, I'll wave my hand. And then when I'm done mentioning a specific food, I'll go like this again. And then you could unmute yourselves for people that have a problem with that. And anyway, I loved Ovaltine. I could have mainlined it. And I thought, well, I'm going to get some Ovaltine. So I got out of bed because I was in bed at that time. And I went to the kitchen. I know four years old, you're not the tallest person on the planet. So I got a chair, put it up against the stove. 
the cabinet that had the oval team was above the stove. Put it up against the stove, climbed onto the stove. Talk about going to any lengths, folks. <laughs> that was this guy. Opened the cabinet, took down Ovaltine, got me a glass of milk, put it in the milk. I, I, knew, I knew probably that you were supposed to heat it up with some water first and then add the milk. But hey, I'm an addict. I want it now, which was a prelude to my eating frozen stuff and stuff out of the garbage and stuff later on in my life. In any case, I... Uh, I got it down, put it in the milk, mixed it up, drank it, and it was instant coffee. And I went, yeah, didn't throw it up because it was still in my mouth. But as soon as I taste, I just want to get out of my mouth. My father came out into the kitchen and just started yelling at me at the top of his lungs. I don't know how, you know, when you're four years old, it seems like it lasts forever. Might have been five minutes, whatever. I literally, and now they call it detachment. Uh, psychologists call this the beginning of a schizoid personality. I literally remember leaving my body and hovering around the ceiling and waiting until this big, tall person got done yelling at me so I could safely return to my body. And that was the first time that I separated from myself when it came to food. And after that, folks, I was off to the races. Um, you know, I and my mother, uh, I mean, like I say, I learned this from my mother. I saw my mother do this. We used to call it the human garbage can because if anybody didn't finish their dinner, she would, you know, I'll take it. Well, I sort of emulated her, I guess you could say, but I was always the kid that like, oh, jail have seconds, jail have thirds, whatever. Now, the interesting thing is that I wasn't really fat ever. I was a little bit of a chubby kid. Like when I say kid, I mean under the age of like eight, nine. But I was real active in sports, uh, burned off a lot of stuff. And the weight never really showed on my body as much as it was in my head, okay, um, being an addict. So again, I don't want to stress the, the low lights, the low lights so much. Uh, high school, my Saturdays were pretty much spent uh, getting two 16 ounce bottles of pop, having a bag of, I don't know, uh, nuts or candy or whatever that I'd gotten from uh, from Marshall Fields, which was this department store chain in Chicago. They got bought up by Macy's. Little economic history, anyway. But, uh, and that would be my Saturday and I would just watch television all day. So, you know, that's pretty much all the low lights come to tell. I've pretty much done what I think a lot of people here have probably done. I have, not only have I gotten food out of the garbage, I have taken a frozen pastry, ate a piece frozen, cut a piece frozen, ate it frozen. Didn't really taste, it doesn't taste that good folks, frozen by the way, just FYI. Took the rest of the cake, threw it in the garbage, and then the next morning got it out of the garbage and blew on it all over as if that would magically remove the bacteria, okay? Uh, eating food off the floor, all that stuff. Um, fascinating to me is that this is, this is the first time, I've been asked to tell my story a number of times, this is the first time 
that I've ever wanted to read something from either for today or Voices of Recovery. And it's the reading for today, which is already displayed. So I'm going to tell you why my wants outrun my haves and all things. Though what I wanted most as a compulsive reader was able to meet what I want when I wanted. This illness is a symptom of want. I lived before recovery, and I still go there sometimes. Like, if I want something enough, that will change reality. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. You know, like, if I want to eat this stuff and not have it affect me bad, that will change the fact that it's going to do that. You know, I call that a Brussels sprouts moment. Here's what I mean by that. I've always hated Brussels sprouts. Always. Okay. Uh, George Sr., George Bush Sr. hated broccoli. Understand? I've always hated Brussels sprouts. And yet, once every four or five years, I will have some Brussels sprouts. And guess what I find out? I still hate Brussels sprouts. Okay. So, uh, so be that as it may, um, that's the addict in me. That's the addict of me. Like if I want something else, it's going to magically change. And then the next thing in the reading was that I'm learning that what my life needs is the elimination of clutter and excess would take up time and space and energy. Folks, I'm just going to tell you this has worked for me on some kind of a magical scale. How I've responded to the pandemic has been unbelievable for me emotionally and spiritually in a good way. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I have used this time at home. I have been organizing. I've probably done it three times over the past year, four times total. Everything in my house. And I learned this from a piece of literature that is not OA approved, but it says that if you want, see, it actually relates to this Buddhist quote. I guess it, this isn't Buddhist literature. This is just anyway. But to paraphrase it, Buddha, this is attributed to Buddha. If you want to transform your life, begin by cleaning out your closets. Okay. I have gone through everything in my house, in my car, in my shed, and I asked myself three questions. Is it important? Is it, um, is it uh, sentimental to, to me in any way? Or, um, or what's the other one? Or is it just beautiful, like I just like to look at it? The answer to any of those, I'm sorry, if the answer to all three is no, I toss it, I donate it, I re-gift it, whatever. I get it out of my house. The space is that it has given me emotionally and spiritually, I can't describe. I can't describe. It works for me. Anyway, little pitch for that. So, um, I'm very blessed in so many ways. I've had a, I've had the same sponsor for 25 years. I've had the same, I've been abstinent for a little over 25 years. I had the same, same sponsor actually this, this beginning of the summer will be 26 years. And the funny, and, and I, and I took about a year and a half or a two year, um, uh, pity party from her. I wouldn't call her anything. You know why? Because she wasn't doing things the way I wanted her to do them. Yeah, she was not responding to me exactly the way I wanted to respond to me. So I took, and now we laugh about it. Uh, but yeah, I did. I did. 
And then I realized like who's suffering from it, you know, sort of like resentment. I've heard this and it's, it's so apt for me. Resentment is like me drinking battery acid and expecting the person I resent to die in any case. So fast forward to present day. Um, I have a lot of, a lot, I don't know, depends on what you consider a lot. Um, the sponsees that I work with, and I see this as serving, if it, I'll just tell you my experience. When I had trouble with sponsees, oh, they're not getting the program, then they, they keep on falling off the work and they do. Now I ask myself the question, what do I need to do to take care of myself in this situation? I used to be, oh my God, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just say one thing as a sort of side thing. I don't get the benefit of somebody calling me and telling me that they binged. And then the stereo, for me, it's stereotypical. Oh, yeah, it's so bad. I know I should have done it. But, you know, just take a baseball bat and beat yourself over the head for all that's worth. I mean, to me, I don't get the benefit comes. And there's two things in this. These are, for me, two of the three, and I'll say all three, the most important parts of my recovery and what I found in the recovery of my sponsees. Number one, tell the truth. And when I realize I haven't told the truth, tell that truth as soon as I'm aware of it. So I'm just going to be quiet a little and let that sink in for everybody. Okay, I don't care what the truth is, just let me know. Because otherwise, if I find out that a sponsee has been lying to me, which has happened a number of times, I, I don't want to be your sponsor anymore because I don't know who I'm dealing with. <laughs> you know, who am I dealing with? Oh, now you're going to tell me the truth that you haven't told me. No, 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 Tell me the truth. I, I don't care what it is. The second thing is that if a sponsee tells me, and this to me is either integrity or building up somebody's integrity. If a sponsee tells me they're gonna do something, I want them to do two things. Number one, I want them to do it by when they say they're gonna do it, or if they're not gonna do it, or not gonna do it by the time they say they're gonna do it, I want them to let me know as soon as possible. I don't wanna set up an hour of my time scheduled for a Saturday afternoon. And then the sponsee calls me two minutes beforehand and tells me that they're not done with the assignment. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Okay. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing, and probably the most important, I need to keep on, on a daily basis, inviting other people into my head besides me. What do I mean by that? I need to share myself with people like I'm doing now. I need to make outreach calls. When I receive outreach calls, to me, I'll share myself. It'll either a little bit or a lot, depending on the appropriateness of it. But that needs to be a daily thing because that's a segue to the most important part of my recovery. You're at 15, Jay. You're at Thank 15. You. Thank, yes, you. Sir. Mm -hmm. Thank you. When I get the thought in my head about going to the food, 
I need to, to either ask God to come into my head. God's very respectful of my experience. He's not just going to barge in. He's going to, you know, he's not even going to knock on the door. He's going to wait for me to open the door. Okay. I need to invite God in or invite one of you in. Either way is fine. I don't care who it is, but I need to call somebody because if I'm just left with me talking to me in my head, folks, one of two things are going to happen. And my experience is that they're both harmful to me. Either I'm going to be successful. I won't go to the food, but I'm going to be white knuckling it. To me, the definition of white knuckling it is trying to do it myself. Oh, if I could just get through this. Why? There are all these other people around. So either I'll be successful and I'll resent the whole process because I'm white knuckling it and it'll be a pain, or I won't be successful. I'll just say, oh, this is too hard. I'm, I'm going back to the food. Or I won't even think it's too hard. I'll just go back to the food. Okay. But that has to happen. And I think I have a lot of latitude with sponsees about that. But if time after time, you know, I find out that they've gone to the food, I, I don't, this may sound heretical, I don't care if you go to the food. I don't care. I don't care. What I care about is that you invite somebody else into your head when you think about going to the food. Now, if you could do that and go to the food, God bless you. I've only seen it happen one time in all the time that I've been sponsoring people, folks, just once. Every other time, the sponsee has decided not to go to the food. And I make a, an ironclad guarantee, and that's ironclad because it's been ironclad ever since I started doing it. This is a guarantee with my sponsees. If you call me and you tell me that you're thinking of going to the food, I guarantee you two things. Number one, I will not at all try to persuade you not to go to the food because, folks, I'm an addict. If I want to do something, I'm doing it. <laughs> okay? I'm not going to try to persuade you, but I'd also guarantee you I'll ask you one important question. What are you feeling right now? And then I'll shut up and listen. And if we could get done with that conversation and then afterwards you still want to go to the food, I hope it's good. I mean, I hope the food's good. You know, it's like if I'm gonna eat ice cream, don't, to me, don't get like the cheap low fat version at the grocery store. Get Ben and Jerry's or something, you know, at least try to enjoy yourself, okay? But that to me is the kernel, no pun intended, of my recovery is inviting other people into my head and then possibly having a discussion about it. So that's pretty much it. I will tell you one other thing is that, um, and this sort of goes to the whole thing of everybody's body is different. Everybody has different nutritional needs and everybody's binge foods are different. I'm not gonna share with you the process how I discovered this, it's not important. What is important is that I have one category of binge food and I've only heard course, this goes to my terminal uniqueness. <laughs> I've only heard two other people tell me that they have this particular binge food and then that's it. I cannot eat anything ice cold. So you can fill out the blanks with that. I can't have ice cream. I can't have anything with ice cubes in it unless it's at room temperature, like freshly brewed hot tea or something like that. Can't do it. It sets me off for everything else. And once I stop going there, 
all the other stuff started subsided because I used to eat whole cakes at a time, you know, and I was, and I was eating, yeah, tried to figure out the average between, I think it was four on the low end and eight on the high end scoops of ice cream a day. And I thought it was the sugar. And I found out through work of my sponsor wasn't sugar. It's fact that it was ice cold. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, that's all folks. <laughs>